0: Today on Security Science, we're learning how a CIO is able to turn big ideas into reality. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger, and today we're discussing the process of turning big ideas into real projects that can achieve some meaningful results. I have the pleasure of speaking with a technology leader today who started on the technical side, so network and systems engineering, and has worked his way up through the ranks and currently serves as the forward-thinking chief information officer for the city of Tucson, Arizona. Colin Boyce, thanks for joining me
1: today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's I'm excited to be here with with the folks from from Kenna with you, Dan. I love the product. I've been using it for probably two of my last two engagements. I've been using the product and been evangelizing, speaking in conferences on how we can use or people can use the Kenna product to advance what they're doing from a cybersecurity perspective. I also want to say congratulations to the Kenna team being scooped up by. Cisco. So you're going into the mothership (laughs) of networking. So congratulations to the Keno team. I hope it all works out great being part of the Cisco ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much. I mean, it's been a wild ride and the team's all pretty elated um, at the outcome. So, man, I can say personally, what, three, over three years here for me. And it's just it's kind of surreal at this point. Uh, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't imagine kind of a better company, the more that we've had time to digest from a fit perspective. So we're really trying to, uh, drive things home in the market of risk-based vulnerability management. And I will thank you for giving me a good CYA. So the segment, I do like to cover our butts here. Colin is a customer of Kenneth security, as he said. Um, so we normally preface when, you know, we cover our own research or whatever that, um, we like to ground out where the data set lies and whatever that context is. And a lot of times that's kind of customers, which kind of disposes these kind of people like Colin to being... Uh, more disposed to using RBVM. They typically, we like to say, are a little more innovative in their approaches to vulnerability management and likely IT and security more broadly. So that's actually why we're bringing Colin on because he's done some pretty cool stuff in some spaces that maybe you wouldn't expect. So anyway, Colin, let's kick off. You started, as systems engineering, right? So you started very much on the technical side where some CIOs may start more on the business side. Do you mind just kind of giving us, you know, walking us through your journey and kind of what, you know, what you learned along the way, you know, what was more technical? What were some of the skills you had to pick up on the business side?
1: So I, I'll start off and I'll give the the funny side of it, right? I started off electrical <laughs> engineering um, mechanical engineering and electrical engineering at Fairleigh Dickinson University, where I flunked out twice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I flunked out twice. And I have a brother who is a neurosurgeon in, in Michigan now. And he pulled me to the side and he's like, Colin, are you an idiot? <laughs> he's like, it's obvious that you like computers. Why don't you go into the comp science? So I was at and Manhattan community college doing, um, trying to get back into engineering, the hardcore engineering. And I left and started to work for a company called the Brown Companies. And when I got into the Brown Companies, my job was to collect bills. But on my interview, the guy's computer broke (laughs) and I fixed the guy's computer on my interview. And while he was calling tech support, I sat down and started to fix it. He hung up on tech support and he's like, you got the job. And for those who are not aware, Harry J. Brown, it's like this guy was ultra rich, right? His dad was this major movie star. And I think at one point in time, Universal Studios was on his lot. So he was this real estate mogul and he was just amazing. And so I started building computers and ran my first networks for them. And then I got picked up by the VA Medical Center doing you know, as a contractor, this one was a funny one too. They hired me as a nurse contractor working in the IT department. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so there was a lot of bending of the rules. And so probably, you know, when everything really picked up steam for me was I got into the dot com boom in New York city. And so what you call guys call Silicon Valley out in the West coast. We called it Silicon Alley in New York city. So I worked for A company called the globe.com, which was kind of social media 1.0 predecessor to that. So Stefan Paternod and those guys, I knew them growing up. Van Tentley was a mentor to me. A really interesting gentleman I met there, a guy named uh, uh, Len Rose. Uh, So if you ever read the book, The Hacker Crackdown, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the antics of Len Rose. And Len Rose and I are really good friends. Super smart guy. Taught me a bunch about cybersecurity. Um, so I had this learning Unix, you know, Solaris, security, really technical background. I started to pick up routing and switching. So hardcore. Eh? So went to about.com, helped them with security, went to UPOC. And then I started to branch out out of the dot-com verticals. And I worked for um, Morehouse School of Medicine, mm-hmm. when my wife was going to medical school. And then Rila Teleservices, which was a call center. And I'm giving you my, my resume, the Reader's Digest version of my resume. I uh, worked for finance in Merz of Michigan and then Emergent Biosolutions, who happened to make the anthrax vaccine. I stayed there for about a year and I'm like, you know what? Manufacturing isn't for me. Uh. Um, <laughs> and then I went back and started to build cloud products as a director of technology for a company called Comlink. And then the government sector scooped me up. Right, The Comlink went out of business. I needed to find a job. And I became the CIO for the City of Lansing, where I did my first kind of deployment. That's where I met the Kenna team. Um, and then I did my second deployment here at the City of Tucson. I came to Tucson, Arizona, and I wanted to have that visibility. Um, stuff that I learned along the way, right? So what I realized was being extremely technical that I had to work on my communication style. Yeah, and so. People are going to laugh at this. But what I just started to do was, you know, at that point in time, you know, I'm a a fairly religious guy. I started to preach in churches. I picked up public speaking in churches. And what rings out for me, there was an episode of Seinfeld where they said public speaking is people's number one fear. And the number two fear is death.
0: Yep. It's absolutely true.
1: And so people in the audience going, I would rather be dead than doing what he does. And so I picked up public speaking and I tried to to pick up a style in public speaking that was winsome and engaging. And so when I speak in conferences, I, I learned what I learned here from speaking in church. So first thing I learned was to develop a communication style where I could be winsome and motivate people to make change in public forums. And, you know, that was a huge skill to learn. The second thing I learned, moving from the really technical, the abstract, moving packets and, you know, Unix command lines, was I realized that I had to learn how to speak in analogies. And so I use analogies all the time when I'm speaking to folks. I I met with council yesterday and we were talking about a network that we stood up, this LTE network that's getting a lot of press throughout the country. And I had to explain what what we were doing when we talked about optimization in the network. And I gave them an example. I said, "You know, remember when you were a kid and you had to go to the TV and adjust the antennas, and you went and looked to see if the picture was clear? That's what optimization is. We're basically adjusting the antennas, and we're coming back to make sure that the, <laughs> the signal is clear so people are able to connect." And so I've I've figured out how to quickly pull together analogies to be able to help. People um, to connect. And then I think the third large thing that I picked up along my career, and I frame it as a quote When your vision of the community outweighs your love of your community, then you're lost. And what I found out was coming from a technical perspective, I became really idealistic. And things had to be done right. And it took me a while to realize that right was subjective the right thing to do technically may not be the right thing to do financially may not be the right thing to do personnel wise may not be the right thing to do marketing wise mm-hmm. and i realized that i had not i had to avoid being i would say dogmatic and realize that i had to do what i call a pest analysis right look at political economical social technical and see how everything lined on top of it so i'm not doing the right thing just technically but I'm looking at the full picture and making sure that I'm doing the right thing across the board.
0: And there's that CIO coming out right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I think your background is super, super interesting and it kind of lays out a lot of the context that honestly, I didn't even know heading into this, right? Like kind of bootstrapped from the ground. You self-taught in a lot of ways, right? Like that's, you're like learning these skills as you're going and Kind of got that innovator spirit from, you know, kind of that tech scene, Silicon Alley, right?
1: Yeah. So it's funny, right? Because it's really, it was that uh, I have a friend who's passed recently. He didn't make it to 40. uh, He was taken, uh, died with complications with diabetes, Julian Uh, him. Sorry to hear that. And we bought a computer, used computer, and I ended up buying another one. And Julian started to teach me how to run networks. And I would stay up all night and build networks. And uh, there was a used bookstore in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and I would go buy used books, and there would be times where it's like, I need to buy computer parts, and I need to eat. I'm going to skip eating and just buy computer parts, and I just find myself sleeping and working on computer parts. Um, and eating ramen. Eating ramen or um, <laughs> sleep sandwiches, right? You, you go to uh, sleep early, you and... and you know, when someone's offered to take you out, or you go speak at a church and someone invites you to lunch, you were going to lunch because you didn't know when you're going to get your next meal. Yep. But I would buy all these books, and I started to amass all of these books. You know, from the C program language to Unix to networking, and I would read them from cover to cover and do every example inside of these books in order to to get my uh, my skill set up. Yep. And probably. One of the most incredible experiences I would say is when I worked at theglobe.com, I needed to, uh, we were looking to buy a sand to, to host all of these websites. And I decided what I was going to do was I was going to write code to process the data that was being kicked out from these sand. So I wanted to do it. So I came home and this time I wasn't as healthy as I am today with two, two liter bottles of Coca-Cola. <laughs> and I read this, this book, the C programming language, um, uh, the programmers normally call it K and And, um, I read it from cover to cover, did every example on the weekend and came in Monday morning and started to write code for the company. And it was one of those experiences, right? It's I came from a tech background, but everything about computers I loved. I always wanted to continue to, to learn and to grow in this. So there's nothing that is, I've found in this industry that I haven't dabbled with because I just want to learn. And so I've remained curious and I've remained a learner.
0: So uh, number four is uh, stay curious, keep learning. And it sounds like number five is doing beats everything else, right? Like, yeah. like public speaking, right? You're like... I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to communicate. I'm going to go find ways to go expose myself and do this skill. Yeah. Build this skill like it's like a muscle.
1: Absolutely, right? I've never learned somebody never met somebody who learned how to drive a car sitting in the passenger seat.
0: There's the analogy.
1: <laughs> right, there's the analogy, right? You got <laughs> you got to be in the you got to be in the driver's seat, right? You got to get off the bench. I played semi-pro basketball. You got to get off the bench and get in the game and you got to take a chance. And when you start to take those chances and you push yourself harder than you've been pushed before, that's how you get to the next level.
0: Yeah. Get those reps in. Well, here, let's kind of I want to ground this out a little bit because like there's a ton of good examples that you've provided. And then I think there's a really interesting story. So you're in the public sector. That's, you know. For better or worse, we don't typically associate public sector work with innovation, uh, speed. Right? <laughs> we think more of the opposite: red tape, bureaucracy. You know, five-year rollouts, inefficiency. But you, you alluded to this project before. During COVID, you basically found a way to take unused spectrum, right, wireless spectrum, and provide the city with reliable internet access, right?
1: You're right. So the government sector is not known for efficiency. And matter of fact, when I, I was offered the the job by Verge Monero who eventually became a friend, he was the mayor of, uh, of Lansing and yep. an interesting one, right? He's the angry mayor is his nickname. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when he offered me the job, I'm like, do I really want to go to government? Because I'm about innovation and moving fast. And government is the, polar opposite of doing that. What I discovered is, is that you have to break these projects down. So I'm using this wireless project. I had to break it down into small bite-sized chunks that people could understand. And Verge shared something with me in the when I first met him. He said, Colin, when you are tired of talking about something, it's now starting to sink in with the people you're talking to. Hmm. So we wanted to connect and and get citizens um, access to the internet, but we also wanted to jumpstart what we call our smart city initiative, right? We want to be able to provide connectivity for traffic signals and buses and, you know, eventually, you know, live streaming body cams and, you know, even cell phone service, right? We're talking about doing all of that oh, stuff. And we said, Hey, look, This project is a win because we can provide connectivity to citizens. We have roughly about 800, 900 citizens connecting right now. And we're expanding on that. So more citizens are connecting devices. We want to fuel our smart city initiative. Um, So we were working on that. And then the other thing was we wanted to control the cost of what's happening um, inside of the city. So our telecommunications cost goes up, you know, 20 to 30 percent every year. And why that happens is all of the smart city connectivity stuff that we want to do, you know, running fiber and new locations that are coming up, that just makes our bill go up, you know. Yeah. And we wanted to control those costs. And this gave us the opportunity to be able to control the cost. And it's a win-win, right? Part of what makes this cool is. You can't let the product become aged in our world because you have citizens connected to it and you have your smart city connected to it. So we have to continue to maintain it. And so, yeah, we use this unused spectrum CBRS connected about 800 citizens and you know, they're able to telework. Yeah. We have employees that are using it and we're actively now working at connecting traffic signals to the same infrastructure and, I know your audience can't see it. And I know there's going to be someone to go, well, what's next, right? The next thing that we're working on is I'm pulling out a cell phone. We're installing SIM cards in the cell phone and the cell phone will be connected to the same network. And so really, we will be able to place calls like we're on the city's network. So the PBX, So instead of giving people uh, a phone on their desk, we can give them a cell phone that will have a 520, their desk number. And they can provision and make calls from anywhere and roam with this number just about everywhere in the country. So it takes what we're doing just one step further.
0: Interesting. And so just at a ground level, just so I'm I'm clear, you guys basically use the city's existing kind of fiber infrastructure, right? So like you, you already have fiber running to the big city buildings and offices and all that stuff in Tucson. And you guys essentially leverage that to provide radio towers for Wi-Fi essentially, right?
1: Yes. The FCC provided a citizen ban, and the, this band that we're using was the band that was supposed to be used with Navy ships, huh. so if they have to do any recovery, but I'm in the middle of Arizona, so I think running into Navy ships that need to do a, a recovery well, in the desert is going to be unlikely. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're in pretty good territory here
0: interesting so that i mean that just seems like such a innovative and unique use case right so you're you're taking infrastructure that exists and spectrum that exists and may not be used to its full capability and hey let's take this help it power wireless connectivity for our smart city you know initiatives but also provide what i think you connected more than thirty two thousand of the city's two hundred thousand uh households right yeah with the internet access?
1: Well, there's 800 households, but we're capable of connecting 32,000 of them at the moment. Got it. And we're waiting for them to come in. Um, what we are doing also is connecting traffic signals. Mm-hmm. And then we're using the same network to provide Wi-Fi in some of the public parks. Um, so it's high connectivity everywhere. And you know the, the awesome part about it is, you know, this will allow citizens to be able to go just about anywhere and get access to the data they would get from a library. So that's one of the struggles we had, right? When we built this, it was, should the government be doing this? Yeah. And my argument on this side was, well, libraries provide books and Amazon also provides books. We never think of the library's competition to Amazon. And what we're providing is pretty much internet content that you would go and get on a library shelf at no cost to citizens. So they are able to connect and access to information, access to information. And so that's really the secret sauce. That's super interesting.
0: And you know, what stuck out to me, like we're talking about government and perception and efficiency, right? You did this in what, three and a half months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really quick turnaround project. And, you know, I know we may talk about cybersecurity, um, with this, but the goal is to bring visibility to the problem, which was my first step. We brought visibility to to the issue, and then come up with a plan and structure that plan around easy wins. If your plan doesn't have easy wins, and this first step to get out the gate is difficult, people are going to lose interest, and it's going to be too hard. So, for us to get somewhere close to seventy to eighty percent of the network up and running, it was using the existing materials that we have and taking advantage of it. And then the, the next part of it was, you know, was the more difficult part. But when you take the medium stuff, that's difficult, medium difficulty, it makes the super hard become easy because now you have a cadence and an idea how to, to work around that. Momentum. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I find the same thing with uh, large projects. Right. Um, You structure it for some early wins right out of the gate, get some traction, get your reps in (laughs) going back to the basketball analogy. Right. Right. Um, And then you you up level. Now let's do some harder stuff. Right. We've 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 got this down. We can we can go a little bit harder than we could before. And then by the time you're done, the hard stuff seems easy. Right.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, you'll take the easy and make it hard and make the hard impossible. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, yes, this is, I've seen that happen quite a few times as well. So, uh, full disclosure, I, when I was in my senior year of college, I actually worked for the California Senate doing public affairs. And I thought I wanted to be a lobbyist at the time and be involved in, um, the public sector from a comm standpoint and the amount of red tape, like I got disillusioned in like three. and a half months and was like nope (laughs) i'm leaving i'm going back to private i'm like this is not what i want to do with my career um and so like just facing off against that kind of bureaucracy itself can be like super daunting so like how did you come into that with just the frame of mind that you can actually get this done in that amount of time
1: so the funny part is no one believed i can get it done um i sat down (laughs) i mean i wouldn't
0: have believed you if you told me this at the beginning
1: Yeah, I sat down with a vendor and we were, we reached out to a vendor in September of last year and we told them what we were trying to do. And this guy, he's a sales guy, right? So he wants to make money. It's like, look, we have about $5 million. We want to do this project. And on the interview, like five minutes in, he's like, what you're telling me to do is impossible. It takes us a year just to plan the network and then probably another year to do the implementation. So you're talking about a two-year project and you're trying to get it done in three, four, five months. He's like, it's impossible. And in the interview, I'm like, well, I thank you for coming out and I'll talk to you later. And I hung up the phone (laughs) and (laughs) the people who brought him to the table is like, well, We were surprised you just hung up the phone. I'm like, look, the project starts off first with do you believe that you can do what we're asking you to do? And if you can't believe it, then you're not the partner I need. I'm a runner, right? Yeah. The first part of being able to run a marathon, and I ran 12 of them, eight of them in one year. Wow. The first step in running a marathon is you got to believe that you can finish the race. Yep. If you can't believe that you can finish, don't bother. Don't bother. And the reality is I believe that we can finish the race. And so I was only going to surround people who believed it was possible and their pride would not allow them to fail. So they were going to try their hardest.
0: That makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. That's super interesting. So, you know, you also need that kind of support from the partners and the people on the team, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because if I can connect with one or two people and every vendor that is or a person involved in the project, and they have that energy that they're going to push, then I know I'm going to meet the finish line. And I may not meet it exactly where I want to, but I'm going to be close.
0: Yeah, and you'll keep you'll make that movement. Speaking of actually, I think you mentioned you had a budget of five million, which honestly doesn't seem like a lot for a project like this, actually, it seems pretty small.
1: It is pretty small, but here, you're gonna laugh at this. When we first started, we started the project not with a $5 million budget. We started with a $5 million budget to cover 19 square miles of the city. And then we had another plan to add another eight square miles starting in this part of the year. Mm -hmm. So we were going to be right around 27 square miles and spending $10 million to do it. We were able to circle back and do 37 square miles of the city on that same $5 million by pivoting the technology we used. Jesus. How? Moving from standard wireless to CBRS being one of the first people to do it, we seized the opportunity of being one of the first people in the country doing this at a municipal level. Yeah. And we negotiated with our vendors.
0: Yeah. This is going to be a proof of concept. You're going to get some traction outside of this, right?
1: Yes. And so I took the risk and here's how I justified the risk in my mind. Well, A, it was CARES dollars, right? It was from the coronavirus fund. Um, So it wasn't city dollars, but we knew that people cared about it, but I redefined success. You know, everyone was, you know, do you have 5 million or 5,000 people connected at the same time? Well, no, we didn't have 5,000 people connected, but here's what I said to myself. I said, look, if I can spend $5 million and build out a network that can fuel the smart city initiative that we wanna do in the city, we are better than we were last year this time.
0: Yeah, and that's that kind of build for the future. Is am I building for the future?
1: And by doing that, we were able to to do this. Candidly, I approach just about every project like that. Um, I take the approach of if I fail, what is it that we lose at the end of that project? And if we just get better at the end of the project, Mm -hmm. then it's worth doing it. And that's how you fund innovation. And I encourage people understand the difference between innovation and change because all innovation brings change, but not all change brings innovation.
0: That is true.
1: And so this is truly innovative, right? We were doing uh, audibles, the entire project and making changes as we go along.
0: That is super, super compelling. Well, I mean, that seems like a pretty good place to kind of stop at this point. Right. So, uh, I mean, congratulations to all you've done thus far. I, I hear you guys are going to be rolling out, uh, you know, phase two and three of this, but ultimately you guys are building for the future, right? Yeah. So anything you want to speak to, to that before we hop off today?
1: Well, I'm surprised we didn't get to speak very much about what I've done with Kenna, but.
0: <laughs> oh, all good. I, I think the the story on how you're getting stuff done is, uh, a very strong lesson, right? That can be taken uh, and applied to most, not just technology, right? But these kind of uh, security projects and all that good stuff, right? You you take this top down view and break things into meaningful data points that you can measure and get done and achieve and like build that momentum. Um, and that kind of speaks to how Kenna, <laughs> what our product does, right? Right. Take a top down view, break things down into metrics that you can measure, get these get these meaningful wins down. And ultimately you can end up changing kind of a culture internally at the company.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would agree with you and that the first thing that I've discovered with, with this, and even in this first project, right, what we're doing, the one we're talking about is bringing visibility. Yeah. And what Kenna does for us when we did the deployment was we brought visibility and you'll laugh at this. The first part of bringing visibility for us was just pointing out that there's a gap. We got a new tool that's pointing out that you're not doing your job the way you thought you were doing it. And people scrambled to fix their problems because now they're aware of their problems. Yep. And the same thing we did in the city, right? When we were aware of the problem, and how big the digital divide was, we did something to help address it.
0: Yeah, well, you know what I find interesting is it's not you're really good at pairing this kind of like technical know-how and like solving problems via the technology with this kind of social business process people aspect right and um you know that's that's a big piece of what we do right at kind of security like yeah we provide the tool but what we've learned um you know, in the 10 years we've done business is it's really about the people and the process and the culture and the maturity level, right? And that stuff needs to change ultimately for people to get like really proactive around like vulnerability management, right? It's a very, very difficult thing to wrap your head around. It's truly different than how people have done it over the course of the last 20 years, right? But it really needs to come from a call in, right? Who can see kind of the forest through the trees and, you know, ultimately rally a team around getting these wins really engaging with the technical aspects and understanding what they're doing and why it matters. And then ultimately you can make true innovative change, not just
1: change for change's sake. Right. So I love the, the element that you threw out there about finding purpose. You know, why are we here? Why are we doing this? And I will add not only is finding purpose but it's finding easy wins. Yeah. What I discovered when I first did my first deployment of Kenna was, yeah, you have the, um, the availability, we have the monitoring, but it's more than just prior to rising the risk. What I found was I took the Kenna tool and I programmed into it what's configuration problems mm-hmm. and what are easy wins that we can patch. And what I found was A, you got to treat the configuration problems as projects and you can patch till your, till your eyes fall out. You won't fix a configuration problem with a patch, right? You've got to fix configuration problems. Mm-hmm. But when we found like the largest problems that's uh, hitting the entire environment, the most amount of the environment and they're easy wins, and people are able to push a button and see that score drop, Yep. then they start to catch fire. Oh, this isn't that hard. Remember, 80% of what you do is easy to do. And then the last 20% is where the work is, right? So in tenant security, what we found was there was things that we could do. 80% of it was really easy. Like we, Cisco switches that had SSH version one on it. Well, that was just one command line push, bloop, We were done.
0: (laughs) That was easy.
1: That was easy. Firmware updates. That was easy. The problem was when you had to swap out a switch because it was no longer firmware updates and you had to trace cables. Those last 20 percent is where you have to focus your energy on. But the easy wins pave the roads, as I said earlier, for the medium wins. And it takes what's impossible and makes it possible.
0: Man, Colin, right back to the beginning of where we started, ultimately turning these impossible ideas into reality. <laughs> uh, I couldn't have scripted this better, honestly, so.:
1: And finding relative or finding good touch points that people can relate to as analogies. Something as silly as talking about their rabbit ears on a television to help them to understand wireless or helping people understand, you know, something about network security by talking about, you know, plumbing and pipes and then pipes having a leak. Those things, those small things and spending some time figuring out analogies and how to connect people to those analogies to visualize what we're doing. That's really what it, the, the bread and butter is. At the the executive level, if you want to get to the next level, because they're never going to understand what you're talking about until you can paint it with something that's relatable to their universe.
0: Absolutely. Well, that is amazing. I think you've provided a ton of good insights. And I mean, honestly, strategies as people, you know, try to turn their, uh, their security or technical abilities into you know a longer career and people who may want to get into management and you know apply these to successful projects and honestly just getting people to think big so colin thanks so much for hopping on um to all of our listeners uh you should be able to go on and get some IC squared credits by the way from listening to colin give his advice and help you be a better uh technical manager um so, feel free to go on to cannasecurity.com slash blog, find this episode and go enter your ISC email and number, and you'll get some cool credits at the end of the month. Colin, thanks for joining me today.
1: It's been a pleasure. Anytime I'm available, this has been a lot of fun.
0: This is a ton of fun. I actually have relatives in Tucson, so I'm going to hit you up next time I'm down there. I'll take you to lunch.
1: For sure. And congratulations on the Cisco partnership or acquisition.
0: Acquisition, yeah. Thanks again, Colin.